Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. If you have a copy of God's Word, if you would join me in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. So take your book or your iPad or however it is that you access God's Word. Go to the New Testament, and it is the third book in your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and then the Gospel of Luke. And we start a brand new series today that I've been excited about for some time. Uh, I think Pastor Ken's more excited about it than me. He can probably explain that to you at a later date. But I've been really excited about this because it's a critically important, but at the same time, too often neglected subject when we're talking about the church and how we do our work together and how individuals within the body get along with each other or sometimes don't get along. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but occasionally churches aren't the most harmonious organizations on the planet. And oftentimes that's due to something called, we'll call a lack of self-awareness. And so over the next nine weeks, we're going to be looking at this concept of self-awareness principally because a lack of self-awareness is dangerous. It's dangerous in your, to your relationship with God, and it's dangerous when it comes to our relating to each other, whether we're talking about at the family level. So many divorces happen because of a lack of self-awareness. Parents and children can often be estranged from each other because of a lack of self-awareness. Churches can split because of a lack of self-awareness. Countries can go to war because of a lack of self-awareness. And so when I talk about that this morning, I'm talking about it as a pastor who has seen ignorance of the self at gargantuan levels, most often in a counseling room when someone looks at me and I get the why do I question. Pastor, why do I do this? Why do I behave in that way? Why do I react to this person or this situation in that way? Why does this happen? Why is it that that particular individual seems to get on my nerves worse than anybody else? And whether we're talking about the context of a family or a church or, or whatever it may be, at the root of all of that is ignorance of yourself. And you don't want to live there. God doesn't want you to live there. Now, here's the good news. The scriptures are full of people that are just like you. This is not a new problem. This is a very old problem. And so we're going to look at multiple biographies of self of people who were not self-aware. And as a result, they made huge messes of their lives and sometimes other people's lives as a result. And we're going to look at the multiple profiles of those biblical characters over the next nine weeks together so that we can avoid some of the mistakes that they made, but also so that we can emulate some of the ways in which they were self-aware because this is an incredibly important attribute of your spiritual growth. It is difficult to impossible to become everything that God intends for you to be without a good healthy dose of self-awareness. In fact, 500 years ago, a great reformer and theologian by the name of John Calvin said the following, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. And I would submit to you that in the church, we are excellent at the first one, and we really, really stink at the latter one. 
And here's what Calvin had to go on to say. But as these are connected together by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the other. What he's saying there is these two issues, knowledge of God, intimate knowledge of God, intimate knowledge of myself and the others around me, those two subjects are so closely related, you really can't have one without the other. And so if a lack of self-awareness is causing distance between my wife and me, that's going to affect my relationship with God. If my children and I are estranged because of a lack of self-awareness, that's going to affect my sanctification and my growth in grace. All of those things get affected. Your knowledge of God is affected by your knowledge of yourself and others and vice versa. And by the way, Calvin didn't just make this up. All right, theologians, some of them are notorious for just making stuff up, speculating, but Calvin didn't get this just out of thin air. He pulled it from the depths of the scriptures, uh, several of which I'm just going to share with you right now, beginning in Proverbs. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. You know what that's a text about? Self-awareness. I need to know myself. I need to know what's going on beneath the surface. I need to pull that out so that I can know. Some of that's painful, by the way, and we don't want to do it because we don't want to see how ugly we really are and can be sometimes. But it's necessary for us to become less like that and more like Jesus. The 26th Psalm also says, Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. That's a dangerous thing to ask the Lord to do unless you're ready to get your feelings hurt. Amen? I mean, that's tough. Here's another one from Proverbs 4. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Make sure you've got to check on your heart. Make sure you understand what's happening with you at the, with yourself at the deepest level. And then you see this mirrored in the New Testament in Galatians 6, 3. Paul says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. That's another way of saying, don't be ignorant of yourself. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Don't think more lowly of yourself than you ought to think. You need to see yourself as God sees you. And then finally, uh, advice to a pastor, a young pastor named Timothy. Keep a close watch on yourself. Incredibly important for pastors. And, and so as we look at all these texts together, we, we begin to see how important it is to be spiritually aware. And so for the next nine weeks through the fall, all the way up to Christmas, really, we're going to work on our self-awareness because it matures us. It matures our relationships with each other. It makes us tighter as a church family, and it brings us all closer to the Savior who died to redeem us and make us into the very kind of people that we can be with just a little bit of self-awareness. That's where we're going. Now, uh, we use some other tools outside Scripture as well here at Covenant. Uh, and, and so there's several tools that you can use, utilize, employ, if you will, uh, to, to make sure that you are self-aware. Uh, some of you have probably taken what's called the DISC profile before, perhaps in your company or somewhere. Uh, you need to know whether you're a, high do a dominant style, an inspirational style, a service style, a, a cooperative style of leader. Uh, some of you have probably taken something called the Myers-Briggs Anybody take an instrument like that? And you know, I'm an extrovert. I'm an introvert. I, I do this. I do this. This is the, what I become. Uh, when I was first, Amy and I were first being considered to be mi domestic missionaries back in the year 2000, I had to submit to the CPI, the California Psychological Inventory. That was an interesting journey. Uh, I could tell you. I'm glad the search committee didn't get their hands on that one. That's all I'm saying. Um, it was interesting. I, but you know, the, the mission board 
put us in the field, so apparently it wasn't that bad, right? We've all had to submit to something like that. There's all kinds of tools out there. There's one in particular that we like to use here at Covenant. I'll tell you up front, it is not the Word of God. It is not inerrant. It is not inspired. Uh, we don't hold it to be that way, but we do believe it can be a very useful tool to the extent that you're not going to be on the payroll here unless you submit to it because it raises the awareness of yourself and also that of your coworkers. It's an instrument called the Enneagram. And on the front of your uh, program this morning, you can see a website. If that's something you're interested in, you want to go, you're under no obligation of law, of course. I think the charge is like $10. Uh, and you take this test, takes you about 45 minutes to an hour to run through it. And then you will get your results back. Later in the fall, uh, we'll also be announcing from this stage some breakout times, probably in the great room. We're in smaller groups, two or three of those time periods that, that you just pick one that's convenient for you. They'll all be identical. And we'll just go over that instrument. I'll do that personally with you. Uh, our executive staff's going to meet on Tuesday. We're going to get some dates on the calendar for that, and then I'll let you know when those are. And then for any of you beyond that that might want a one-on-one -on -one session, we have a number of our staff that are trained to consult with you on that if you want to explore that a little bit more. Again, uh, we just think it's a useful tool. But over the next nine weeks, let me give you a sense of, of where we're going. Starting next week, we're going to look at something called the organizer. Some of you are phenomenal. You're project managers. That's what you do professionally. Uh, you know how pieces fit together. You can smell inefficiency better than anybody else. God's given you that ability. But you're not just a critic who complains and gripes about everything. You also know how to make that which is inefficient, efficient. And so your spiritual doppelganger is a guy named Nehemiah. He wasn't a priest or a prophet or a pastor. He wasn't a spiritual leader in that official sense. He was basically a city planner. That's what he did. He was a government official. We're going to look at, the, at Nehemiah. Uh, the week after that, we're going to look at the artist. Some of you are highly creative. In fact, you never get any closer to what God actually did during those initial six days than when you're looking at a true creative, someone who's always designing, always creating, always bringing up things that are unique and special, bringing aesthetic beauty to the world. And, and you don't have a greater ally in the Bible than King David, who himself was a poet a songwriter and someone with high artistic abilities. We'll be looking at that. Then we're going to look at the thinker. Some of you like to think deep thoughts. Some of you sometimes get trapped inside your own head. And you have difficulty making a decision because you understand the complexity of things. But the good thing is you do understand not everything is black and white. Not everything is so simple. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of complexity. Uh, and you have someone who can identify with you in Solomon. You also have another character in Gamaliel. And we'll be looking at those biographies. Then there's the loyalist. I'm just going to tell you, there would be no visible local church in the West if it weren't for the loyalists, the people who can be counted on, the people who are always faithful, the people who are always serving, the people who are always sincere, the people who always want to just be there and make sure the gaps are filled in. Uh, and it may surprise you to learn that probably your closest spiritual doppelganger is would be to look at the biography of Gideon. And we'll be looking at that story in the book of Judges. Then there's the enthusiast. If this is you, you are the party animal. 
You are the social butterfly. You're the people magnet. And so you have some people as well that you can identify with in the scriptures like Barnabas and Priscilla and Lydia, and we'll be looking at those biographies. Then there's the commander. This is the the strong leader that has the capability of getting up and rallying the troops. You know what needs to be done. You know how it needs to be done. You know what resources you need. And you are like, let's go, let's get it done. And because you are so forceful, you often come across as a get in, get out, or get out of the way kind of individual. And we'll be looking at some of those biographies as well, including the great judge Deborah uh, in the period of Judges, J.L., uh, a woman who has a, a rather bizarre, very interesting biography. We'll be looking at her. Joab, who was the general to King David. And then finally, the apostle Paul, who gave these characteristics when he said in 1 Corinthians 9, I have taken all measures and I will continue to take all measures so that as many as possible might come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we're going to look at the collaborator. Some of you are like Queen Esther, Hadassah, uh, her original Jewish name, or you're more like James, someone who can speak wisdom into a situation, who can take various sides, who might otherwise be turned against each other, and you have the ability to bring them together. Your mediatorial gifts are amazing, and we're going to be looking at that. And then finally, the idealist. We'll look at Peter and possibly some others as well who, who just understand the way the world should be. They have a very acute sense of the injustice in the world, and they just want to bring healing. All of those are outlined in that tool that I just described for you. They also have corresponding biographies in the Scriptures. And so a psychological tool doesn't drive what happens up here. Scripture drives what happens up here. But we're going to be looking at all of those biographies over the next nine weeks so that we can raise our own self-awareness. And we start this morning with the helper. If you take that instrument this coming week and your highest score is a two, all right? And I don't mean that two on a scale of one to a hundred. I mean, there's nine different dominant types. If you can imagine nine tools laid side by side in a toolbox, there's one tool that you pick up more than any other. Every single one of you in this room, including me, has a dominant style. There's one tool you pick up more than any other. But there is also not a single person in this room, including me, who only picks up one tool. You're not that one-dimensional. You are far more complex than that as a human being created in God's image and likeness. And so when it comes to the helper, that is also true. And there's one character that ought to stand out more than any other when we talk about the helper, and this is a woman named Martha. Martha is one of those people who, let me just, can we just be honest, she gets a bad rap. There are things that we say about her that are true, but that are, they're, in, they're incomplete, we don't see the whole picture, and today we're going to see the full picture of Martha, beginning in Luke 10, 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, that word welcomed is so sanitized in our English language. Uh, it is so packed full of meaning that really just needs to be unfolded over the next few moments, because to welcome someone into your home the way that Martha welcomed Jesus we can extrapolate that out to mean the following, to take under one's care as if placing your hands or arms under a person or thing. You're even helping them walk. So this is a lot more than just a smile at the front door and, hey, how y'all doing? Come on in. You know, this is far more than that. I think sometimes we talk about what it means to be hospitable. It doesn't just mean serving, but it does mean serving. 
Now, I can be hospitable if you came over to the rainy household and I'm the only one there. I'm going to open the door. I'm going to smile. Uh, if time permits, I'm going to invite you in. I'm going to offer you a comfortable seat. And I'm going to tell you where the fridge is. That's what I do. Uh, I'm not going to serve you anything. For one thing, you might get food poisoning if I tried to cook it. And so I, we, we'll, just, we'll just spare you that, right? Uh, my wife, on the other hand, if you come over and she knows you're coming, she's done a lot of what Martha has done in this situation. She has prepared the home, all right? You know what that's like, don't you? Any of you have that kind of hospitality uh, gene in you? You're just like, we got to get it ready. Like, it's got to look nice. Like, I'll be honest, I don't care if there's underwear on the couch. It doesn't bother me at all. I don't know. But some people with, with hospitality gifts, it really bothers them. I don't know why. I have no idea why. Take dirty dishes and throw them in the oven. That, that, whatever, you know. But some people, they got to get that house ready. And that's what was happening with Martha, okay? Uh, Luke is here describing the care of somebody who is a genuine helper. Let me tell you why that's important when we begin this story. Because so often, especially for those of us who have been Christian for a long time and we're familiar with the story, we think of Martha and the first thing we think in terms of application is don't be like Martha. You ever heard that? Yeah, don't be like Martha. And we do that because of the way this story ends. And the reason we do that and the reason we stop there is before, because we forget how Luke began this story. Just like sometimes we forget about the redeeming qualities of somebody who annoys us. Am I meddling now? Somebody who's annoying to me, sometimes all I can see is that annoyance. For this, it's the same reason I look at a text like this because I've been programmed, I've been conditioned by, by Christianity in the West to tell me, don't be like her, don't emulate her. Don't Really? So don't welcome Jesus into my house? Really? Like there's some redeeming qualities here. You ever done that? You ever done that? Somebody has, has some characteristic, some tick, something about them that is annoying to you, and so that's all you focus on, and the result is you completely ignore the image of God that's right in front of you? Let's not do that. Let's don't treat Martha like that. Let's don't treat each other like that. And here's the good news. If we can avoid that automatic con conclusion and look at the whole picture, here's what you'll see before anything else. And Martha, yes, she had her problems. But here's what you need to see before anything else. The character of a helper that I am certain is reflected in a lot of people in front of me right now. I mean a lot. Helpers are like this. They are caregivers. I mean, when a helper is on their game, and some of you have experienced the ministry of a helper, their lives are marked by altruism and unselfish service and gentleness and compassion. You know somebody like this? I do. I know a lot of people like this, even in our church family. These are people who believe that giving is the most beneficial way to live. And they live that with excellence. Giving is the most efficient way to live. That's what's happening here. Martha's not just saying, come on in. She has worked hard in preparation for Jesus coming. She has pulled out all the stops. And now that Jesus is there, let me tell you what she's doing. She is taking personal responsibility for his contentment and comfort. Do you think we need people like that in God's church? Yeah, I do. People, that's all they're thinking about is, I am taking personal responsibility. We need people at our doors. We need people in Kidman. We need people all throughout this building ready for people who walk in this building for the first time and for those who've been here for 30 years or more, ready to make their personal responsibility all about your comfort. 
Not just so you can be comfortable, but so you can feel the very hospitality and welcoming spirit of God himself. And so here's the question. What goes wrong in this story that causes us to think to ourselves, don't be like Martha? Well, we start to see some sense of that when we look at verse 39. And he had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So here's what's happening. You've got Martha running around doing all of the welcoming, which is good. You've got Mary sitting at the Lord's feet listening to his teaching, which is good. Take these two half-sisters as a couple. You know what you have? You have the two greatest commandments being fully obeyed. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That's Mary. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's Martha. You've, you've got both. you got both. Mary hears. Martha obeys. You've got two personalities here. They're very distinct from each other. They're both doing very good things, and neither one of them really understands the other one. You ever had that happen in a family? Has that ever happened in your marriage? Has that ever happened in the church? Let your pastor go ahead and tell you. Yeah. Two people very different from each other, both doing good things, neither of which understands the other. Sooner or later, Pastor Joel, I just don't understand why so-and-so acts this way. I don't understand why they... That's because they're not you. And they're not supposed to be you. Romans 12 doesn't say be conformed into my image, be conformed into your image. It says we're supposed to be conformed into the image of Christ. And Jesus intends that be done in precisely the way that he has wired us individually. What's happening here is a lack of self-awareness that causes an explosion that we see in verse 40. But Martha was distracted after much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Now it's out. Right? I'll tell you, nothing's more frustrating as a pastor than have somebody come to you and tell you about somebody else's sin. Gee whiz, I'm telling you, it's, it's just exhausting. I, I meant what I said. It, the great honor is serving as a pastor. I love you guys. There is nothing, and y'all aren't any different from any other church in the world when it comes to that, that temptation, that proclivity to come to your pastor and, help, and think that your pastor's going to arbitrate because of somebody else that you perceive did something wrong when all, most of the time, really all that's going on is you don't understand that other person and they don't understand you, and likely it's because you don't even understand yourself woeful lack of self-awareness that cuts you off from your brothers and your sisters within the body of Christ that will eventually cut you off from God. That's not something you want. And we see that here. And this is a key to understanding most interpersonal conflict when it happens. You ever been doing something good? And you look at somebody else and you think, man, I don't think what they're doing is what is as important as what I'm doing. Right? I serve in this ministry, and I think it's the most important ministry in the church. Well, that's good. Good for you. If, you. if you didn't think that, maybe you should be in another ministry. That's great. Where you get into idolatry, as in making an idol out of your ministry, is when you think everybody else ought to be on your bandwagon. Everybody else ought to be doing it the way you do it. Everybody else ought to serve the way I serve. You might, if that's your proclivity, I mean, if that's, if that's where you go, when the underbelly of your sin kind of comes out, you might have a dominant helper identity that is inherently a very good thing but has gone through your sin nature to a very bad place. And that is not where you want to go. Martha 
This is what happened to Martha. She was distracted. That word means to be drawn different ways simultaneously. You ever served and served and served and served to the point that you were completely exhausted and you looked up and there was still more to do and they appeared to be on opposite ends of the universe? Like that's where Martha is right now, drawn different ways simultaneously. This is a real pitfall for a helper. The tyranny of the urgent prevents her from being at peace in her service. See, if God's wired you to be a helper, you should be at peace when you're helping. You shouldn't be perpetually and spiritually, physically, and in all other ways exhausted. You ought to get more energy from doing the very thing that God has wired you to do. If you get less energy from it, there's a lack of self-awareness there. There's an incredibly fleshly way in which you are likely working out the way that God has gifted you. You ever felt that way? That's the pitfall of a helper. And there's lots of things that needed to be done still around that house. The issue isn't the problem. The issue is the way Martha reacts. Lord, don't you care? This is that underbelly of the helper profile. It's when somebody that God has wired to be a helper gives in to their sin nature. What's really going on here? Well, here's what's happening. Sometimes a helper, in their attempt to serve others, if you're a helper, just buckle up a minute, okay? I love you. Remember this, okay? you can develop very easily an exaggerated need to be validated for what you do. And if nobody is noticing, sometimes helpers can get frustrated and flustered and exasperated. And you know what's at the root of that if you're a helper? This is going to surprise some of you. Pride. That's what's at the root of this. Okay, It's hard to detect in a helper. This is how sinister our enemy is. He takes what we would think the least likely besetting sin, given my personality, and he makes it my besetting sin. And if you're a helper, your besetting sin is pride. Pride that kind of comes out this way. It's buried so deep below the altruism and the desire just to serve. It's, It's not easy to notice, but that it's a deadly sin because it is specifically pride in my unlimited resources to help others. Well, here's a clue. You don't have unlimited resources. You're a human, all right? You you can't create whatever you want to create. You can't do that. There are limits on what you are able to do. And so when I run out, Rather than realizing that and being self-aware, what tends to happen? If I'm a helper, my propensity is to start looking at other people and placing the blame on them in precisely the same way that Martha did Mary. It's somebody else's fault. They weren't doing their thing just like I was doing it, and if they were, this wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't have run out of resources. We wouldn't have run out of time, energy, dishes. Wouldn't have happened. That pride results in an inflated sense of self-worth. If you're a helper, if this is your dominant style, I'm going to say something that's going to hurt a little bit, but I'm doing it because I love you, and you need to internalize what I'm about to say because it can set you free. You ready for this? One day, you're going to die. And the next day, after your death, you know what's going to happen? The sun's going to come up. The weather that was supposed to be that was supposed to happen that day, it will not change at all. It will rain or shine, depending on whatever it was preordained to do. 
the water will keep running its courses through the earth. The wind will keep running its circuits through the earth. People will get up. They will go to work. Your family, they're going to grieve for a while. And then after a while, they'll get back to their lives. It'll all be normal. And this world will keep spinning without you. Okay? If that hurts for you to think about that, you might be someone whose who's dominant style is that of a helper who's just in a really bad place, and you have this overinflated sense of what you're capable of, here's what you need to do. You need to let that reality, because that's reality, okay? You can't speak anything to be different than that. That's your reality, okay? It is unchangeable. Only God has the power to make anything different with that regard. This is going to happen to you one day. And so if you will just accept that, you know what will happen? It will set you free. It'll set you free. Because if you're a helper type who has a tendency to overreact the way Martha did, there's a deeper and more sinister issue below that pride. And it's shame. You, you, don't, want your, you don't want your nakedness exposed. Or, or in other words, it's not so much seeing you without clothes, but seeing you without resources. Right? You, you don't want to be the person who's seen as inept. Sometimes even the helper needs help, though. And if you're, if you're a fleshly helper, there's a fear of being rejected if you were really known. Like if people really understood that I'm not superwoman or superman, if they really understood I don't have unlimited amounts of money, I don't have unlimited amounts of time, I don't have, I don't, I'm not unlimited, I, they wouldn't appreciate me. Lord, don't you care is code for I have worked myself to death and I am now scatterbrained and I feel like I can't keep up. And if only Mary, if only this other person who's different from me would become just like me and do it the way I do it and help me, then nobody would see me as inept or needing help and then I could continue being the Savior that helps everybody. When people automatically go to the end of this story and say, don't be like Martha, whether they realize it or not, this is why. Because your sinful proclivities can take you to a very, very dark place. And it's that attitude that makes Jesus' response to her such an attention grabber. Look at verse 41. But the Lord answered her. Yeah, I, this is where I know, because I got, I got one of these styles too. This would have been my answer to Martha. And I'm going to admit to you, it would have been wrong. This would have been Joel Rainey's answer to that. All right? Jesus thankfully understands. Jesus has compassion. Jesus has put more compassion in this pastor's heart over the years. Pray that he puts more so that I don't do that, so that I will do more of what Jesus does in this situation. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. You're scatterbrained because you chose to be scatterbrained. You chose to have multiple loyalties at once. You, you chose the tyranny of the urgent. Martha, you chose to be the victim. If you're one of those people where every time something bad happens to you, you're always the victim, it might be because you choose to be. All right? And there are bona fide victims in this world, and you minimize their pain when you keep pointing everybody to your own false pain. That's what's happening here. Martha, Jesus said, you have so busied yourself, you're working nonstop, your mind can't even slow down long enough to prioritize and to delegate, 
or to focus on what's most important. That's when he points to Mary and he says, you know, she understands what's most important. Mary's chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The things that will not be taken away. Here's the thing you need to understand, Martha. One day, the dishes you're using to serve me with now, they're going to break. One day, the money you have spent putting all this together, it's going to run out. One day, the physical and emotional energy that you expel to help others, it's going to be exhausted, and you are going to be exhausted unless you understand yourself and your half-sister way better than you do right now. This is a major, major issue, by the way, in many, many churches. Run, 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 run. There's always something happening. You're not spiritual unless you're busy. You're not spiritual unless you're tired. It's insane. It is insane. You know, if I got up here one day and said, hey, guys, I commit adultery at least twice a week, y'all would be like, what are you? If I got up and said, hey, hey, I stole, I stole a bunch of supplies. Like, I, I must have taken $200 worth of office supplies out of the office last week. And I sold them at the flea market. Nobody in here is cheering that. But when I get up and say, I break the Sabbath constantly, they're like, oh, that's a holy man right there. If that's your habit, if that's the normal cycle of your life, you might be a dominant helper type that's just gone to a place that God doesn't want you to go. And you'll, here's the thing, you'll never be able to serve as effectively as God built you to serve as long as you stay there. That's why he points to Mary and says she understands the most important thing. Okay? And see, here's the thing. In a church, busy, 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 run, 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 when the people who jump on that train run out of steam, that's when they turn on everybody else in the congregation who's not as perpetually exhausted as they are. It's insane. It's insane. This is what happens when service becomes an end to itself. We just got to keep the program going. We just got to keep the thing happening. We just got to keep that distributed. We just got to, we got to do that. Your church, your family, your workplace, activity for activity's sake, service for service sake. And underneath all of that frenetic movement is pride. This won't survive without me. <laughs> well, if it doesn't, then it's not the Lord's work. It's just not. Uh, we were planting a church. Oh gosh, this goes back almost 20 years now in, in, in my home state, and it wasn't going as well as I had hoped. And at the point that we, we for one thing, the first sound system we ever had was absolutely pathetic. Uh, and the reason for that was because it didn't really belong to us. Our small church, about 50 or 60 people at the time, we were just getting off the ground and, and we couldn't afford uh, any, anywhere near a decent sound system. And so we borrowed one from another church. And here's the thing, it had been in their attic for years, and it sounded like a set of broken wind chimes after you turned it on. And we knew sooner or later this thing's going to go kaplooey. And so we bought another one in a way that we shouldn't have by borrowing the money. Yeah, not, not something we should do. All right. And, and about three years later, I would stand in a place of leadership in our denomination and I would stand up at least three times a year like a really good hypocrite and tell those prospective church planters they need to take their needs to the Lord and not to Visa. But it's because I had been there. It was just a stupid thing to do. So we were in hock for a new sound system. We were, we, we weren't, you know, giving was flat, attendance was flat. And in the middle of all this, I'm working on a PhD. So it's time now to go to Louisville. And it's a required seminar that I can't miss if I would like to graduate, but it's going to take me away over a Sunday and I am freaking out because I'm thinking to myself, what if the whole thing falls apart? 
Some of you may be like that. What if the whole thing just, what if it just all comes crashing down? What, what happens if it gets destroyed? Sunday afternoon, my wife and Sam, who was the only one we had at the time, is up there with me. We're staying a, a, a dear, dear mentor of mine that I had worked for. I'd graded his papers for several years, and I worked on my master's, and we were, we were basically living in their basement. Incredibly hospitable people, at least one helper in that bunch. A wonderful, wonderful woman named Retta who just welcomed us into her house. And I'm just, I'm dialing, trying to figure out what happened and what went wrong. And here's what I heard on the other end of the line. Pastor, we had the largest offering we've ever had since the launch and the largest attendance we've ever had since the launch. I don't know if I like what the common variable to this might be. And I, I looked over at my wife and I told her, and, and she's always compassionate, loves me, just wants the best for her husband, and she just started laughing hysterically, <laughs> like to the point of tears. And then I told her to shut up. And, and this is like, really, you're there? Like, I, this won't survive. There's pride in that. There's pride in that. I had another fellow pastor tell me that once. I told him, I said, I said look, I have never failed at anything I've ever tried to do. Now, I failed at stuff because I didn't give a rip about it, okay? I was a horrible student in high school, 1.9 GPA when I graduated, 870 on the SAT because I didn't really take it. I just made patterns with the bubbles, and I, I didn't care, right? But there's nothing in my life that I have put all of my effort to that I have ever failed at, and I am afraid I am going to fail. And that other pastor looked at me and said, well, now we know what the problem is. What? Pride. The same pride that got Satan kicked out of heaven and Adam kicked out of the garden. Bro, you need to get rid of that. How many people am I looking at for whom that is the case as well? Because underneath that pride, there's something else. It's shame. There is a fear on your part if you're a predominant too. If I'm not seen as valuable and indispensable, nobody will love me. What a sad place for anybody to be. What a sad place for anybody to think that that's where they are. Because that is not where you are. You are created in the image and the likeness of God who loves you to the point that he sent his son to bleed for you. And you think you've got to be valuable one? You think you have to be the indispensable one? You need to be set free today. And here's what you need to know. If you're a helper who struggles like Martha, the answer is not to stop helping. Jesus is not telling her to stop serving and do everything exactly the way Mary's doing. That's not what's happening here. But it's also not to keep pushing yourself in service out of fear that your worth is going to be questioned. You know what the answer to pride is? Humility. Understanding that I just need to rely on the grace of God and I need to rest in the love of God. And if I can do that, you know what happens to the helper? The helper helps and the helper serves and the helper lifts other people's arms up and the helper does all of that more powerfully than they could have ever done it from a position that of knowing that you are fully accepted, not because of what you do. You're fully accepted so that you can do what you do. You are fully loved as you are, totally apart from what you do and who you serve. And remember who's teaching this lesson. Jesus. All right? 
The, the, the last person on the planet who would minimize service is Jesus. He would say, service is good. What you have done in welcoming me into this house is a good thing. It's a needed thing. Here's what he's saying. If your source of service is maintaining your own self-worth, eventually you're going to run out of gas. You need another power source, and Jesus has given it to you because he's going to go to the cross. And on that cross, the one who knew no sin, the one who knew no shame that you were feeling, the one who knew no pride that is tempting you to go into those bad places right now will take your sin and mine and will pay the penalty for it. He will take your shame and mine as the one who knew no sin, and he will become sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God. Nobody ever served better than Jesus. Nobody. Nobody ever gave of himself more than Jesus. Well, one of the things that we're going to discover in this series, that instrument, the, the, the website address of which is on the front of your program today, if Jesus took it, he'd score 100% all nine areas. Because that's what perfect humanity looks like. That's what it looks like. And so when Joel takes it, and, and on a scale of 1 to 100, his two score, because I'm not a helper, and the way I know that is because on a scale of 1 to 100, the last time I took this test, it was a 3.3. All right? That's not a reason for Joel to go, well, that's just not who I am. I'm just Because Jesus took a towel and a basin. No, no, no. Jesus took a cross. So when I see 3.3 out of 100, what that is for rainy is that's a call to repent. That's a call to become more conformed to the image of Christ. It's not a call to deny who I am. It's a call to build in more of Jesus is, of who he is, to who God has wired me to be. And what we're reading here brings us to the realization that there was, for those of you who are predominant helpers, there was no more perfect servant on this planet than Jesus Christ. You will never meet the needs the way you can meet them when the love and approval and forgiveness and the atonement and the resurrection of Jesus is at your back instead of your sense of trying to feel self-validated because of what you do. When you've got all that stuff at your back, and if you're his follower, that's what you want, isn't it? I mean, if this is your predominant type, you want to welcome people the way Martha did, don't you? You want to hold them up. You want to support them. You want to serve them. You want people to feel as if they have been served not by you, not by Martha, but by Jesus himself. That is what Jesus desires to do in you. But you have to know him, and you have to know yourself. Will you pray with me? Father, the human soul is a deep well. And we're going to go to some places that are really just going to wreck our world over the next nine weeks. It's going to take us to some hard places. It's going to force us to ask some hard questions. Father, may we remember through all of this that we do it and that you call us into this because you love us and you want what is best for us and you want to redeem. You don't want us to stop doing the things that we're gifted at and the things that we're wired to do, but your desire is to call us out of the sinful propensities of doing things the way we want to do them to be conformed to your image and in the, in the case of, of those of us, those in this building that are Martha types to, to be servants, not in the way that Martha was, but in the way that you were 
so lord the, the this church and this world could feel the welcoming arms of jesus that never happens when our motivation is pride that is undergirded by shame and so god would you take that from us now and would you bring healing and restoration to souls over these next nine weeks beginning with our helpers oh how we need them and oh how you desire though you do not need them to bless them and to release them and to empower them in ways that they've never known before but may they look to you and know themselves better as a result i pray these things in jesus name amen hi everybody pastor joel here and i am so glad you stopped by I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at nine o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.